there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Underline the word in. Little word, but a very important word. That little word is, is kind of where we're going to zoom in on today. And I want to explain to you what does it actually mean to be in Christ. It's the concept of union with Christ. So that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to learn more of what that actually means. So what, let, me, let me ask you this, though. Why is this important? Why should it be important to you to understand what it means to be in Christ or in union with Christ? My friend, you need to understand that every aspect of God's relationship to a believer is some way connected to our relationship with Christ. So looking all the way back to God's uh, counsels in eternity past and into this, this glorious fellowship that we will enjoy in eternity future, and, and including even all the aspects of our life in Christ now, has, is, is occurring, has occurred in union with Christ. So, so think of it in past, present, and future aspects, and we'll look at all those today. So here, here's a good working definition of union with Christ. You say, what is the uh, our definition? I get this from Wayne Grudem. So he defined it in his systematic theology book this way, quote, union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. So here's four aspects we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to zoom on on all these and look at various scriptures on these today. So, so here they are. Relationships include the fact that one, believers are in Christ. Two, Christ is in believers. Three, believers are like Christ. And then believers are with Christ. So there's the four relationships. So that's, that's where we're going. And so, uh, as this definition here indicates, there's four different aspects of our union with Christ. And we're going to take each of those in turn. So first of all, let's look at number one. The believers are in Christ. What does that mean? What does it actually mean to be in Christ? It's a phrase that shows up a lot, and it doesn't really just have one single meaning or sense, but it refers to actually a variety of relationships when you look at that phrase and how it's used in context. And I want to think about it in, in three ways. Three different relationships as we zoom in on what, what does it mean that believers are in Christ, okay? So here's three relationships under that point of believers in Christ. So first of all, let's think of it in, in God's eternal plan. So believers are in Christ in regard to God's eternal plan. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 tells us that God chose believers in Christ before the creation of the world. So before the world was created, before you even came into existence, God chose the believers. It was in Christ, as it goes on to say in Ephesians 1, that we were destined and then appointed to live for the praise of His glory. So, why are you here? 
Why do you exist? It's for His praise, for His glory. And by the way, since we did not exist before the creation of the world, those verses there indicate that God looked into the future knowing that you would exist and that I would exist, and He thought of believers being in some special relationship with Christ. And so while choosing us, he at the same time thought about us then as belonging to Christ in a special way. So what does that mean? Well, he thought about us as eventually having this right to share in the blessings of Christ's work. He thought about us. It's a special relationship. Uh, and it goes all the way back to eternity past. So that's the, that's the first relationship. Second relationship is is dealing with Christ's life on earth. So throughout Christ's entire life on earth, God the Father thought of us as being in Christ. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this, that whatever Christ did as our representative, God then counted it as being something you and I did as well. We did. So, for example, when when Jesus obeyed God throughout his entire life and ministry, God thought of us as having obeyed as well. That's good news, because we haven't obeyed God. We haven't loved him with all of our hearts. We haven't loved people as ourselves. And so, look at this. In Romans 5, verse 19, it shows this relationship when Christ was on earth, it says, for uh, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Christ lived the perfect life for you, which you can never live on your own. And so because of that, we are made righteous. Here's the point, my friends. Christ is the source of your righteousness. Uh, your right living, if you will. That should make us excited uh, that, that's a great truth, but there's even more here because God thought of us as being in Christ. He also thinks of our sins then belonging to Christ. See, not only did He live the perfect life, He also died the perfect death as our sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake the Father made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I've inserted the word Father in Christ there for you, so you understand what it's talking about with those. God the Father took your sin and put your sin on Christ. Even though He knew no sin, even though He was perfect, the holy, so that we might become righteous. And so these were sins we hadn't even committed yet. But God knew of them, of course. God knows of that in advance. And so he thought of them as belonging to Christ. So it was right that Christ should die for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 tells us here that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we've been healed. Notice what the text is saying there in 1 Peter 2. It's not just our sins 
that God thought of as belonging to Christ. It was, it was we ourselves. So when Christ died, God thought of us as having died. And you see this aspect coming out of Romans chapter 6. In, uh, well, look what, look what happened here to our old sin nature in Romans 6 verse 6. It says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So, what happened to Christ after He died? Christ died. He didn't stay there. He was buried, the Bible says. Guess what? He was also raised. So, there's this, this union with Christ in His death, in His burial, and His resurrection. Ephesians 2.6 tells us that God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean for you? If you're a believer today, this has glorious implication for you. See, the Bible says Christ returned to heaven. He ascended to heaven. He's at the Father's right hand. And so that means all the blessings of salvation are earned for you in Christ. All the, 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 these glorious privileges in Christ come to you, as Ephesians 1 says. You have all these spiritual blessings in Christ because of what He's accomplished. Well, there's a third relationship as we think about believers being in Christ. So, it's not just eternity past. It's not just Christ's life when He was here on earth. But even now, our lives now have this relationship with Jesus Christ, a union with Him. So once you've been born and you're, you exist as a real person in the world, our union with Christ is just no longer something that's just in God's mind. You're also brought into an actual relationship with Jesus Christ. Now what does a believer's present life in Christ look like? What does that look like? What should it look like? Well, it can be viewed from four slightly different perspectives. Let me just give you the four perspectives, and then I'll show you some scriptures for those. So, again, we're thinking of our lives now. We haven't gone to heaven yet. We, we, we will. But what, what does this look like? Well, number one, believers have died and been raised with Christ. Two, believers have new life in Christ. We'll look at the first one here in a moment. But number three is that all actions can be done in Christ. And then number four, all Christians together are one body in Christ. So those are four different perspectives of our lives now. So let's look at the first perspective coming under this third relationship. Is that, that believers have died and been raised with Christ. Believers have, been, have died and been raised with Christ. That's a blessing. Because the, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has a real effect in our lives. As Colossians 2.12 reminds us, it says, Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. So here's 
Paul's referencing baptism in faith in Colossians 2, indicating that our, our dying and our rising with Christ occurred in this present life when you become a Christian. And, and this truth, by the way, has ongoing effects in your life. The gospel isn't just for your justification, your conversion. It's an ongoing effect in your life as a believer. So because I died and I rose with Christ, I have power to overcome personal sin in my life. See, Jesus didn't just conquer Satan, He conquered sin. And so when I put my faith in Christ, I have a new master. I don't have to serve the old master anymore because I have a new master. I have Jesus. And Paul's telling us this in Romans 6, and he's he over and over says, know this truth. Know this. Look at this, Romans 6, 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. The implication is then sin no longer reigns. The Christ reigns. So believers have died and been raised with Christ. That's the first perspective. The second perspective of our lives now is this, that believers have new life in Christ. So we should not think only in terms of Christ's past work of redemption. But, my friend, you also need to remember Christ is alive. Christ continues to minister on your behalf as He is there at the Father's right hand. His continuing possession of all spiritual resources continues. And so because of that, we can live the Christian life. And since every spiritual blessing was earned by Him, and belongs to Him, the Bible can then say the blessings are in Him. That's, that's what it means when the Bible says these, all these spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. It means that these blessings are available to those who are Christians, who are in Christ. And if we're in Christ, these blessings are ours. And you can say, that's awesome. <laughs> but what blessings? What blessings? Well, here's just a few. I'll give you a little sampling of some various texts here that I've noticed in the Bible, like in 1 John 5, 11, it says, God gave us eternal life. And this life, where is it? This life is in His Son. Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, how? In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, what are these spiritual blessings? Well, every stage of the 
application of redemption is given to us because we're in Christ. Uh, let me again, I'll give you some examples splattered through the New Testament. It's in Christ that we are called to salvation. It's in Christ that we're regenerated. It's in Christ that, that we're justified. It's in Christ that we die. It's in Christ we're raised. These are just some of the spiritual blessings. So, the second perspective of our lives now here is believers have this new life in Christ. The third perspective of our, of our lives now is that all actions that you and I do now are done in Christ. All your actions can be done in Christ. And so you, you need to understand these things in context. Philippians 4.13 often is ripped out of its context. But I can do all things through Him or Christ who strengthens me. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, In the Lord your labor is not in vain. So you'll see that over and over again. I can't do anything without Christ. With Him I can do everything He wants me to do. And so all of my actions are done in Christ. All of them. Well, not my sin. <laughs> but, uh, but this is an important aspect that we need to recognize as we strive to abide in the vine, Jesus Christ. And so, I know, I've noticed in Scripture there's a, another phrase very similar to being in Christ. It's in the Lord is also used in Scripture. And when you see that, it's, it's a similar concept. I, I do these things in the Lord. For example, you know Ephesians 6, 1, right? Children, obey your parents. How? In the Lord. Colossians 3 talks about wives submitting to their husbands. How? In the Lord. Ephesians 6 talks about believers being strong. How? In the Lord. <laughs> 2 Timothy 3 talks about believers are to live a godly life. How? In Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 3 talks about believers having a good behavior to even in the midst of a hostile world. How? In the Lord. Right? Over and over again, you and I cannot live the Christian life without Jesus Christ. We must be in Christ, in the Lord. There's a fourth perspective as we think about our lives even now in Christ. Is that all Christians together make up one body of Christ. You're one body in Christ. He's the head. We are the body. Scripture tells us that truth. So Christians are not simply in Christ as just some kind of isolated uh, individual person out there on their own. Christ is the head of the body which is the church, and so we're in union with Christ. And so there's this one another aspect of His body. The Bible says this joining together makes one body. <clears throat> we're one in Christ. But Corinthians tells us we're individually members of one another. And so in this body of Christ, the Bible tells us the old hostilities disappear, 
sinful divisions are, are broken down, even racial divisions. Uh, status is broken down because of being in Christ. Galatians tells us this very thing in Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. Why? Why is that? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's why. Well, we could elaborate on that one. That that should destroy racism. It, it, it should destroy this, this status that sometimes we put in, in life. There's all kinds of application that should be coming out of this because we're one in Christ. Those things are wrong because of our union with Christ. Well, so far, uh, we'll move on. We've seen what it means, hopefully a little bit, to what it means to for a believer to be in Christ. Now let's ask a second question here. What does it mean to have Christ then in us? Believers are in Christ. The Bible also says Christ in us. What does that mean? Well, Jesus spoke of this relationship in John 15 when He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. That's John 15. So as you can see there, it is certainly true that we are in Christ. But there's also the other side of the coin, if you will, Christ in us. And this is very important. We need, we need this power to live the Christian life. Because what did it say? Unless the branch is attached to the vine and gains its sustenance, its energy and power from the vine, it can't bear fruit. And that's what... Paul's talking about in places like Galatians 2.20 where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ living in me bears fruit. So let's think about just quickly of, of an application of this truth. So what does it mean? How does it affect me to have Christ dwelling in me? Well, it should affect our response to, to other people in need. See, whatever you and I do to another Christian, for example, the Bible says we're actually doing to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said. For example, in Matthew 25, verse 40, it says, The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus says, you, you minister to another Christian and you do it, hopefully for the right reason, right motives, for God's honor and glory. Jesus says, it's like you minister to me. You minister to Christ. Well, we've seen what it means to be in Christ, for Christ to be in us. I want to think of a third aspect here of our union with Christ. The Bible tells us we're to be imitators of Christ. But what does that mean to imitate Christ? 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said to be imitators of me as I follow Christ. 
1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Right? So there's this, this imitation concept found many different places. So what are we, what are we talking about here? Union with Christ implies that we then should imitate Christ. Our lives ought to reflect His life. Why? So that you get the honor and glory? No. <laughs> You're to bring Him honor and glory as you reflect Him. Have you ever noticed how the Bible pictures the Christian life as one of striving to imitate Christ in all of our actions? All of our actions are to be an imitation of Christ. I mean, you get this over and over. Let me just give you two verses, okay? Like in Romans 15, 7, it says, Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. So how do you welcome other Christians? As Christ welcomed you. In other words, you're imitating Christ. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. <laughs> right? So we got the example, Christ loving his bride, the church, and that's how husbands are to love their wives. So you get the point? We're to imitate Christ. He's the example in, in, in all relationships of life. By the way, notice that our imitation of Christ should not be thought of as just a mere mimicking of Jesus' actions. That's not good enough. See, there, there's a far deeper purpose in imitating Christ. God wants you to become like Christ on the inner being. In other words, when you act like Christ, you become like Christ, hopefully. That's, that's the concept. We're growing to maturity in Christ. The Bible says as, as we are being changed into His likeness, the process, final result is that you, you're, you're, you eventually become perfectly like Christ. The Bible says that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Romans 8 says. And so when He appears, the Bible says, you're then going to be made like Him. So when this happens, Christ will be fully glorified in us. So, we are to imitate Christ. Well, in all of this, some people think, well, what happens to me as an individual? If I'm to imitate Christ and I'm just like a vine, you know, sorry, a branch, you know, attached to a vine, do I lose my individual personality and, and my personhood? Good question. No, you don't lose your individuality. You become perfectly like Christ, but we do not become Christ. We're not somehow absorbed into Christ. So it's, I guess let me try to explain it using the Trinity. Okay? So we, we have the Trinity. We have, we have one God, but yet three distinct persons in the Godhead. And so they're distinct. They're not just kind of absorbed. So there's there's only one person. No, there's three persons. And so they, they have personhood. And that's that's the way it is with, with Christians as well. The Bible gives us 
uh, talks about you know the Holy Spirit giving us different gifts, different functions. For example, in Ephesians 4, verse 15, it says, We're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, notice each part, individually, part working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But the body with many parts. So even in this concept of body, you see that you still maintain your individuality, your personhood. So we're to imitate Christ. So we've seen how believers are in Christ. Christ in believers. We're, believers are to imitate Christ. Now let me uh, bring out a fourth aspect of our union with Christ, and it's this. What does it actually mean that believers are then with Christ? A little different from in Christ. What does that mean that we are with Christ? Well, first of all, to be with Christ means we as believers have fellowship with Christ. I want you to notice what Christ promised. We don't have time to look at the whole context of these, but, but notice this fellowship in, with Christ. For example, the, the famous passage in Matthew 18 on church discipline. By the way, it's not talking about prayer meetings in Matthew 18. It's church discipline when it says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Believers, yeah, believers, two or three, Jesus says, I'm there. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to make disciples, and then he promises, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. To the end of the age. Glorious promise. So, this is Christ's body here on earth. Now. Yes, Christ ascended to heaven. But there's, there's this aspect, this continuing, going on aspect of Christ's body and His presence even now. Well, these verses speak of His divine nature. Obviously, His his earthly, physical body is, is not here in this room at this present moment. We know that, that Jesus is in heaven. So it must be referring to His divine nature somehow is present with us. But it's, it's still, nevertheless, a personal presence. And who receives that presence? Well, Christians do. You say, how? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 1.9 here. It says, you were called into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice, you were called to this fellowship. That's important to note. This fellowship can, of course, vary in intensity based on your relationship with God. You and I can put up barriers in our relationship with God because of our sin. So we should hope for a close fellowship with Christ, pray for a deeper awareness of His presence, hopefully have short sin accounts so that those barriers don't remain. And one way we can fellowship with Christ is in our prayer. You talk to Him. He talks to you through His Word. And so 
the question is, do we really believe that he hears? Do we believe that? Sometimes I wonder, I, I act like a practical atheist by the way I live. Do I really believe what I believe? Good question to ask yourself. Do you know that his fellowship brings us into fellowship with then other Christians? First John tells us. Do you love your, your brother? Do you love your sister in Christ? Like First John 1 3 tells us here, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. Notice fellowship. Koinonia is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And First John there is also suggesting a final aspect of union with Christ. So to be with Christ, number two, means that we're in union with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Not just Christ. The believers in Christ, then you get the Father and the Holy Spirit too. You get the whole Godhead. That's what I'm trying to say. And so the Bible over and over again says things like, we believers are in the Father. We're in the Holy Spirit. The Father's in us. The Holy Spirit's in us. Uh, we are like the Father. We're like the Holy Spirit. We have fellowship with the Father. We have fellowship with the Spirit. Okay, It keeps talking about the various persons of the Godhead and that relationship and fellowship with them. It's not just with Christ. You get the whole Godhead. So that's what it means to be with Christ. You get it's one God. You get them all. <laughs> so even though we have these wonderful, wonderful relationships, it doesn't, by the way, mean that there's no distinction. The Bible tells us now as well as in eternity that you and I can relate to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in, in distinct roles. They have different functions. So to the Son, we, we will relate with Him in, in certain ways. To the Father, we'll relate to Him in certain ways. To the Holy Spirit, he, you know, He's also in heaven. We don't, also, we don't often think of that, but there will be an ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit even when sin is gone. So he'll have a distinct role in, in your life, even as he does now. So, my friend, there's, there's all kinds of benefits, spiritual blessings, if you will, that come to us in Christ. I hope this has stirred you to want to understand more of this union in Christ. I don't fully understand it. I want to grow in this area. I hope you do too. And so I encourage you to continue studying the Scriptures. Don't just gloss over the Scriptures when it uses the phrase in Christ or with Christ. But think of that. Meditate on these glorious truths. That because of the person and work of Christ, there is a whole world aspects, perspectives, relationship that just blossoms and flourishes out of the, 
the relationship with Christ. God, enable us to understand just more and more of that as we are more conformed to the image of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for giving us these truths. They are so big and powerful. I can't fully understand them yet. We look forward to the day when we will understand them more. The eyes of our mind will be opened. We will see Christ as He is. We'll see You. We'll understand more of the Holy Spirit's person and work in our lives. We look forward to the day when sin and the curse will be removed. And so, may we live in Christ as believers live in Christ. May we as as branches abide in Christ. Be empowered by Him. Connected to Him. May we never try to cut off that power. May we hate sin and what it does to our relationship and our fellowship with You. May we also remember that really the the relationship is set for us as believers. If we're in Christ, that's not going to change. So may we love this thought of, of eternal security in Christ. We can't take ourselves from Your love. Nothing else can take us from Your love in Christ Jesus. It's eternally secure. May we live like it is eternally secure. So open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from Your Word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.